0: Good morning. Good to worship with you, and um, we're just excited about uh, opportunities to expand and share the gospel. And uh, want to just excited about what um, we're doing at um, Portola High School and all the wonderful things that um, Sergio and our youth group um, are doing. And so, I want to thank you guys for that. And um, you know, just to, uh, I think it would be so nice for them to be able to worship together and uh, have some commonality and encouragement. So we're looking forward to that. If you want to maybe help out or you say, hey, how can I pray for you? Um, It would be a great uh, time um, to do that, and you can approach him and do that. But um, anyways, it is so good to be here and to worship with you. You know, one of the stories that we love, that I love, is stories about redemption, stories about second chances, people coming back, people who have failed, succeeding again, people who have lost, winning again. Um, And we love those stories, right? We love stories like that. Uh, The late Mike Iaconelli tells a story about his little church and uh, in the beginning of his ministry he would help out uh, uh, a youth ministry there. And there was a young boy there, a 14, 15 year old young man who was going through a very difficult time at home. And he remembers him and praying with him that he had a father who was an alcoholic and who was very abusive towards his mother and to him and his siblings. And eventually, you know, the father wouldn't work, and he would drink all day, and he would have uh, this rage against the son. And so he remembers talking to this young man, and this young man would share how hard it is. And he remembers praying for him, and and so on and so forth. Uh, Years later, several years later, um, the father, uh, 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 Mike Iaconelli, the pastor, wanted to get some work done in his house and it was going to re-tile the floors. And he remembers getting the tiles and he called a, a company that had a, a lot of contractors that worked for them. And he recalls them saying, okay, we'll have someone coming over and the person we're going to send was, and it ended up being the dad of the, his old youth student. The deadbeat dad, the alcoholic, the abuse, abuser, the one who uh, left his son, left the wife, and, and it was him. And he remembers being in rage, saying, there's no way. Like, I'm not going to let that guy into my house. If I see him, I want to strangle him, you know, and what he did. And uh, he goes through this. But his wife said, well, then who's going to do the tiles, right? So uh, eventually, he was the only one. So they they say, "Okay, well, just let him do this. And he comes in, and he does the tiles. And he is very suspicious. And he's thinking, well, he doesn't know that I know what's happening, what happened with your son several years back. And he's watching him work, and he's keeping an eye on him. And, you know, he's always wondering, this guy's going to rip me off. He's a crook. He's a bad guy. And he's waiting for an excuse to just unload on him and let him have it. Well, here comes the last day. And the contractor, the dad says to this pastor, says, oh, you know what? I'm almost done, but I need to talk to you about the bill. The bill was supposed to be 350 bucks. And he remembers going to his wife and saying, I knew that guy's going to try to rip me off. He's going to try to charge me double, and I know it, and how bad it's going to be. And he goes, wait till he does this, and I'm going to let him have it. And so he's waiting for this confrontation. And he has, he's you know, thinking about all the things he's going to say to this man. And the man hands him the bill. He goes, oh, yeah, I'm all done. Here's the bill. And he gets the bill, and on the bill it says, paid in full. And now everything that he had gone in, all the rehearsed things that he had thought about, he's going to say, it's it's all thrown out. And he said, well, what is this? And he says, several years back, I had a tough stretch. And I know that you helped my son. And I know because of you, my son, and I have a relationship today. So this is paid. And he talks about how humbled he was. He talks about how embarrassed he was as a pastor, as a man of God, that he would judge someone like this. But we we love stories of people coming back. And all of us have been on both sides of that story, haven't we? We've been on the side where we have failed miserably, and we've been embarrassed, and we don't want to go back to God, and we don't want to go talk to people, and we've been there. But we've also, maybe even more than this, we've been the guy that's been judgmental. Who are you to do this? What do you think this is? How many chances do you want? Three strikes are out. That's it. You know How much more do you need? We've been there. This here is a story about that. Joshua, as you remember last week, fails miserably. He fails. Can you imagine now, um, as a leader, as one who had face-to-face conversations with God, can you imagine? Having to now go and face up to God, face his people who he failed. The Israelites failed. The Bible told us in chapter 7 that their hearts melted like water. Thirty-some of them died because of his lack of leadership. And now he has to go and try to muster them back up to go and fight a war. And thirdly, he has to go face the enemies at Ai. They already beat him once. Isn't this true, right? Even in sports, if you could beat someone once you have a psychological advantage. They know when you beat them already, right? This is what the Lakers and Clippers for the last how many years until recently, right? But it was like, they know. And now he has to face all three enemies. Uh, He has to face the enemy, has to face his people, and he has to face God. And we've all been there where we say, I don't want to talk to God. It's been so bad, I don't know what to say to God. I don't know what to, I let my family down, I don't know what to tell them. Or I let my, uh, the enemies win over me, I don't know how to confront them. They already beat me, how am I going to go and face them? And this is what is happening here, and the first thing that God tells Joshua in verse 1, and it sounds redundant again, because we heard this over and over. The first thing God tells him is this, in verse 1, Do not fear, do not be dismayed. Here's Joshua. He lost faith from all his people. Um, the enemies are gloating over the victory. He hasn't acknowledged God in the first half of that story in chapter 7. And God says, do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Do not fear. Do not be dismayed. It's interesting, the word, do not be dismayed. It's not just a redundant two to, to commands here, but do not be dismayed. The word dismayed could be translated to be shattered. Um, and we use that term sometimes, right? My confidence. Their confidence is just shattered, right? They don't know what to do. They're just shattered. And he's in pieces. And literally, that word, to be dismayed, is translated in 1 Samuel 2.10. It says this, the adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. And so this is the same idea that all of who he is, all of his confidence All of his will, everything is just shattered. It's broken to pieces. And he says, don't let it stay like that. Do not be dismayed. You be whole. You come. And you come and let's go take care of these things. And what we see here is the story is simply this. He sends out his men. Israel takes out 30,000 of them. right? And they go to fight the, the war that they had just lost. They go back again. But something is different here. And God says, I want you to take 5,000 and they're going to do an ambush. You're going to hide behind the city and the other rest are going to be in front in plain view. And when they see you, because they already beat you, they're going to be chasing you down. You act like you're afraid. You run away. And the ambush is going to happen. They're going to take over the city. And we're going to ransack and burn down the city. And now they're surrounded on front and back. And you're going to have victory this way. So It tells us this, right, in verse 12 through 15, verse 15, Joshua and all Israel pretended to be beaten before them and fled in the direction of the wilderness. So all the people who were in the city were called together to pursue them. And as they pursued Joshua, uh, they they were drawn away from the city. Not a man was left in Ai or Bethel who did not go out after Israel. They left the city open and pursued Israel. So here is this plan. It's a brilliant military plan that there's an ambush set and the majority are with Joshua. They make eye contact. They run away and they act scared. And I don't know how they act as scared, but they act as scared and they're running. And these people, the enemies, are chasing them down with full confidence. We beat them once. We're going to beat them again. And then out comes the ambush from behind the city and they ransack the city. No men were left behind and they take over the city. So when the king of Ai and his men turn around, the whole city's now in flames. Smoke, up in smoke. And now they're surrounded and they gain victory here. There's a few lessons from this wonderful story that I want us to grasp today. And I, I put it in four parts. The number one is God's way is always better. Joshua learned this the hard way. Um, Joshua's way was in chapter seven. We're gonna go do this, and it's gonna be easy, and it'll be a piece of cake, and he went and approached it without any humility, but we see God's way is always better. So we have to keep acknowledging God. We have to go and say, God, how do you want me to do this? Should I forgive this person, God? Um, You know, How do I deal with this bitterness that I have? How do I deal with this pain that I have? Should I trust, God's way is always better. And so we have to understand that. You know, Isaiah, this very famous verse in Isaiah 55, 9 says this, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So God is always higher, always better. It is uh, Pastor John Piper who said that so well. He says this, and I want to share this quote with you. If you can't see the sun... You will be impressed with a street light. If you've never felt thunder and lightning, you'll be impressed with fireworks. If you turn your back on the greatness and majesty of God, you'll fall in love with a world of shadows and short lived pleasures. We have to understand that God is great, God knows better, and I have to now trust that. Uh, we have our youth group uh, in here today, um, and as a parent, Uh, We all go through this, right? Um, We try to give advice. um, And usually, I don't know when it starts, maybe 10 years old, it, it varies. Um, not that my kids do it, but I've seen it from experience. Okay, so um, what do they say, right? When they're little, two, three, and they're cute, and you say, wash your hands, no, right? And it's still cute. Like, oh, you're so cute, you know? Wash your dirty, filthy little hands, please, you know? Like, no, you know, and it's cute, but it's not cute after a while. And then what happens after a while? You get to a certain age, you know, boys, when boys start smelling, and what do they respond? I know, like, I know, right? Everything is I know. Um, and uh, uh, I'm like, you don't know, how do you know? Like, oh, I know. And I'm like, no, you don't know. And so as a parent, you're like, okay, you need to make sure you do this and I, I know. Um, and you know, I give my kids advice how to take their test. I say, read the question first, look for the answer. I know, I know. And they jump in with, I know, before I could finish, right? And then I could just feel my blood pressure kind of go up. And I remember being that kid saying, I know. So all of you who are under 18, all right, I want you to say this out loud, I don't know. One, two, three. <laughs> I don't know, okay? I know that's really hard to say, It's really hard to say, because that's not, because you know, you know, you know. Um, and moms and dads are going, yeah, you know, this is the best sermon ever at Crossway, like you don't know, all right? Uh, but our heavenly father, uh, he knows better. He knows better than Joshua, the mil- guy with the military background. He knows better. And he's teaching them, you have to trust me. My way is better. Our lives are better if we follow him. The way we treat our money, the way we treat our friends, the way we treat our enemies, the what we do with our time, what we do with all of our play, all those things God tells us how to do it. He knows better. And we take that into heart. Second thing is God gives us, and this is the second lesson that Joshua's learned. He gives us, he gives them all the things that they need. All the things. You Remember in chapter 7, they got in trouble because of the things Achan stole the things. He was hiding the things. When God says, I want you to now, you give that all up. And you try to hide the things, the gold and the silver. Here, the story changes. And you get to verse 2. And this is what he says. God says to Joshua, you shall do to I and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and its livestock you shall take as plunder for yourselves. He says, I'm going to give you the things. All the gold, silver, the livestock, you could take it, give it away, keep it. And he says, I'll give you the things. Don't worry so much about the things. But as we get older, as we become adults, as we get more things, what is the number one thing we worry about? The things. Do I have enough things? I need better things, I need more things. Will I have things in the future? Will I have enough things in the future? Will my kids have things? And we are worried about that. And when Jesus, the same human beings back then as today, when Jesus tells us, do not worry about tomorrow, what you will wear, what you will eat, what you will do. Do not worry about this. Let the pagans run after these things. Don't worry about those things. And it was a lesson here. Because when they went into Jericho, they went and Achan stole all these things because he was worried about his security. But God says, let me give you the things, livestock and all these things you have. Don't worry about the things. Be more worried about the one who gives the things. Uh, how can I give thanks to him? How can I now go and approach him in a proper way? Don't worry so much about the things. You will be okay. Okay. The third lesson we see is that God is so gracious here. And some of us, we almost don't like this story. He failed once, that's good enough. Some of us are so strict. We say, boy, this is good enough, let's pick out a new leader. Some of us grew up in homes or at schools or at settings where, boy, one mistake and you're out. You know? And we say, I- I'm not used to this. And what we see here is a, the second chance that God gives them. Another chance that God gives to Joshua. Can you imagine him having to approach God? And we've all been here, all of us, pastors and, uh, you know, all of us have been here where we say, I messed up so bad this week. I ignored God all this week. I didn't say a prayer this week. I don't know if I prayed before I ate this week. I don't know. And I'm gonna go and approach God. And I'm gonna try to go to church. I'm gonna go sit in a small group and talk about God. I'm not going to do it, right? And th- it's that subtle guilt that keeps us from saying, oh, it's been so long, I've been so bad, everyone there, those people know what I've been doing, they know what I did this week, uh, I-, I can't go there. And we, in our own minds, says, yeah, that's fair, that's how I should be treated, I should be excluded, I should be left out because of those things. But here we see a picture of God's graciousness, and he gives them another chance. You see this story happen in Jonah, Right, I love this phrase that he came to a second time. Jonah three one. then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. He, God does the same thing to Elijah in 1 Kings 19. And the angel of the Lord came a second time and touched him. It, it is a picture of God's grace. You see, if it was up to us, we might say three strikes, that's it. But somehow God ends up being a lot more gracious and generous If it's up to us, we would come up with theology and say things like, you could lose your salvation. You've been so bad, you're you're done. You've lost heaven. You've lost security. But somehow God says, no one can snatch you out of my hand. We say, that's so not fair. Somehow the guy that was on the cross next to Christ gets to go to paradise with Christ after he's been living as a criminal. as well. That's just not fair. But the one who is gracious can do what he wants. It is all his. And so we have to approach God. We have to go back to God. Some of us, we we have to come back again with boldness and say, I know I messed up, but I'm back. I know I really messed up, but I'm back, God. God, here I am. And come back to him. You know, there's a famous... Uh, a few verses uh, in Lamentations 3. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Right? The mercies of God are, uh, they never come to an end. They are new every morning. You know, it's interesting because... Uh, The lament that is there in the previous verses say things like, My endurance has perished, so has my hope from the Lord. They're saying, my hope, God is ignoring me. I have no more hope. I cannot go on. God is no longer here. But what they go back to is this truth. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every day. Morning. So every morning we can go back. And God says, yeah, I forgive you. God says, yeah, I accept you. I love you. Yeah, I'm so glad you're back at church. Come on, come on back. Come join these people. You know, let's go back. Let's keep going. And you say, God, you know, I messed up so bad. He says, it's okay. And I've talked to so many people over the last, you know, 20 some years of doing ministry where I have seen people come and then people go. And really, one of the main reasons people go is not that because they've decided philosophically that they're going to become an atheist or they're, they're moving to a different religion or no. It's just simply like, oh, I've been so bad, i missed out for a month, I feel so out of it, the guilt that's there, I don't, how am I going to go to God, how am I going to go face these people, you know, how am I going to deal, I don't want to deal with this, and then before we know, 30 years old, 40 years old, I'm not really going to church. I'm a Christian, but I'm not really going. you got to come back. And he says it's new every morning. Come back to him. The fourth lesson we see here is that God empowers us. He uses weak people to do great things. He doesn't need us, but he uses us. And this is the story of that with Joshua, right? In verse 18... Then the Lord said to Joshua, right, so they're running away, the ambush has happened, they're running away, the people of Ai are chasing after him and he stops and he turns around and he says, okay, hold up your javelin, point it back towards Ai. So he's holding up his javelin. He's not throwing the javelin, he's not using it. He's just holding it up. There's no magic in the javelin, there's no magic in the posture. But it was in the obedience of God. And this, what does this remind them of? As he holds it up now, the city is being taken over. And as he's holding his arm up and as the javelin is getting heavy and his arm is shaking as he's holding it up. And it says all the way to verse 26 that he did not draw back his hand with which he stretched out the javelin until he devoted all the inhabitants of Ai to destruction. He's holding it up. The war is happening. They reminded him what happened with Moses. Exodus 17, when Moses held up his hands in prayer, remember the Israelites were in a war, they're winning, and then as soon as his hands go down, they're losing, and then so his assistants come and hold his hands up in prayer. That's the idea that God is using weak people to do great things. It's not because he needs us, it's not because we are so great. He's just saying, I think there's several reasons. I, I think one is, he's saying, you know, let God be glorified. He's using people like this. Ordinary people. Um, and really, that's what we get to see, right? Um, someone that's on stage and you go, wow, they're, they're great. And you get to know them, it's just kind of average. Like, they're not that much, you know, special. Yeah, God uses ordinary people. But another part, I think, is the pleasure that God gets from seeing his children do these things. As a parent, Right? And all the, all the minors in here, you've you got to understand this. When your parent says, hey, can you play that piano for me and my friends? And you're like, no, like I hate playing piano. Why do you want me to play for grandma and your friends? and There is some kind of joy. And I never noticed this when my mom used to say, play that violin for all my friends. And I'm like, no, I'm not giving a free concert. No, I'm not doing that. Um, but there is a joy to see now my child. Go up and perform and in the midst of their clumsiness trying to do something and there is a joy. There is nothing like that. And it could be a four-year-old now trying to do ballet or a five-year-old learning how to catch a baseball and trying to hit it off a tee. And you say, oh, it's so clumsy, it's so ugly, it's so messy, but yet there's something so beautiful that parents say, I'm going to clear my schedule. I have to be there. And they all have their video cameras and they're t- taking pictures because there's a joy that comes. And I think our Heavenly Father sees us and he says, I know you're, you're, you're trying to take care of those people. I, I know you're trying to teach the youth group. Uh, yeah, I know you're up there playing an instrument. You're trying your best. I know you messed up on that one beat. You know, uh, we, I know. But there's something that God enjoys when he sees us doing this and he empowers us in this way. It is, and we have to now accept that. And say, it's okay, I'm going to go and serve the Lord. J.I. Packer says this, If God has forgiven you the grisly things you've done, you must learn to be at peace with yourself now that you're at peace with God. He's not simply saying, forgive yourself and go do what you want or have peace by yourself. He says, no, if God has given you peace, if God has peace with you, you have to accept that truth, that you're at peace with God. And that you can now go and do something for him. And the story here closes. They go onto a mountaintop. Mount Ebal, it's called, in verse 30. And they now put up stones again. Just like they did when they crossed the Jordan. They put up these stones. And they make a sacrifice on this mountaintop. And it's two sacrifices. A burnt offering and a peace offering. The burnt offering was something, you would bring an animal and you would burn it. And it was talking, the burnt or the aroma is what it's talking about, the aroma would rise and it's going towards God. And a burnt offering, you would burn it all till it's charred. No one eats any of it, you don't save it. You burn it and all of it's given to God and this represented us now finding forgiveness in God. But the peace offering was something a little different. You would come, and you would have an animal, and you would cook a portion of it, and you would burn it. But the other portion, you would cook it, and now the people would sit and eat. And it was a picture of fellowship with God. I have peace with God. I eat with God. And this is how the story closes. They're at peace. And, you know, you think about us now. You know, on a, on a hill, not, uh, not that uh, far off from this story, right? Christ was offered up as a sacrifice. He was the burnt offering. He was the peace offering. And now because of him, we have forgiveness. Because of him, we can go and ask in his name anything. And God declares us righteous, not because we are, but because of what Christ has done. And now we, he is our peace offering. We could now sit and talk and eat with God. And that's what we see here. And that's what we experience. I, I close by just encouraging you. Maybe you've been away, and you have faint memories, man. 20 years ago, 10 years ago, I was so passionate for Jesus. Uh, It's been tough. I don't know how to approach God. Start today. And maybe you can't forgive yourself for the things that you've done, but God forgives you. And maybe you don't have the courage to keep on going because you failed in the past. It's okay. His mercies are new this morning. Step up, and let's do this. And let's go and face the day in victory he will not use you if you cower in fear, but if you stand in faith, He will use you. He will use our strengths and our weaknesses to demonstrate His power. And so let's submit humbly to Him and see what He can do through us. All right, let's bow our heads and if we could pray together. Um, God, what a humbling thought. God, this picture of Joshua and his downfall and his redemption here, Lord, it's, our, it's the picture of our lives, all of us. We mess up. We fall. You pick us back up. You brush us off, and then you tell us what to do. So, God, we're just humbled. Some of us, God, we, we fall, and we want to just stay on the ground. We want to stay away from you. We avoid eye contact with you in a way. But, God, you call us, and you say, come on, let's go. So we're just humbled. So God, would you now uh, restore us again, help us to live boldly for you again. Would you put together all that's been shattered into a bunch of pieces, all of our confidence and all of our joy, would you bring that all back together? And Lord, help us to live boldly for you. I pray especially for our young people here. And God, I pray that as they live in a world, um, Lord, that, that can be so difficult with so many pressures um, that you would watch over them and you would give them courage to live for you boldly in their schools and uh, in their activities and in their homes, God, that they would find you regularly. Uh, so we thank you for this time and we ask your blessing upon our church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to have a time of I'm offering.